Hi everyone, welcome to Psych Talks. Today we're here to talk about HSP, which stands for Highly Sensitive Person. A lot of people who identify as HSP also identify with being catalysts, which are people who have NF in their code. So INFP, ENFP, ENFJ, and INFJ. I noticed that those who identify as HSP tend to also have a mind-body experience too where because they have a heightened attunement to emotions and an awareness to them, it can easily accumulate in your body. It can create physical manifestations. And so because it's so common among catalysts and other types too that might experience this for whatever reason, I thought we would explore this today to understand it a little bit more. Joyce, can I, yeah. can I add one tiny addition? Yes. I agree with everything you said. I would just like to say, and when I was a younger, before I had gotten conscious that I was reacting, that I was picking up on these emotions, it's even worse. And you're even more likely to say that I'm getting some nods here before you get aware of them. You're even more likely to stuff it in your, in your, in your body. You know, the, the saying the body remembers, well, we do stuff. So, and then we're using energy to press something down and that's causing much unhappiness in the part of our body that's experiencing contraction. Uh, so, Yes, both people who are aware, but people who are sensitive to it and feel it, and then unaware, but still feeling it. And then we at least have a ghost of a chance of doing better when we start getting conscious that we're having these awarenesses. Mm -hmm. That is a good point. And so my hope for this panel is that perhaps there's someone who is an HSP in the audience that hasn't gotten confirmation or permission to accept that side of themselves yet. So this group will help them with letting them lean into that side of themselves more or understand that side more and see themselves more clearly by accepting that part of them too. So, all right. And so, Anne, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am just starting into getting more certifications and learning about um, type and the type community with Joyce's help and wanting to be more involved in supporting others and getting to know themselves and realizing the wonderful things that they have to share with the world so that they can have the confidence to move forward in their life. And so right now that's my fun and what I'm looking forward to. So this is fun for me. <laughs> I hope this is fun for everyone else in this panel too. It's very cool to have you on and her favorite word is love because it really encapsulates and embodies her. I think it's really beautiful. And Raina? So hello, everybody. Um, my name is Raina. I basically have always loved everything about psychology. Um, and a couple of years ago, I got very interested in everything, all the content from Personality Hackers. So I've done a lot of their advanced courses and just love everything about people humaning well. Um, I guess that's kind of a passion of mine. And also kind of where I fit in the equation. I've always had this sense that um, I was a very old soul. <laughs> and so that's presented with some challenges in terms of the humaning department. I think it also led to some interesting, um, like an interesting path for me personally, as I went through my type journey, because of what we're talking about, the HSP side of the house. I went through a period where I was pretty convinced I was an introvert because of the fact that in order for me to manage um, energy, I need to actually have a process. And, and so mm -hmm. uh, to Carol's point, I went through a large part of my life being unaware that this was a thing for me. So once I got past the feeling of I'm crazy, 
and realized, oh, that this is actually a real thing and started leaning into methodologies that I could equip myself with to go through life and human better, um, things became much easier. So I think that this has always been my path. It's like, how can I optimize myself in the world and uh, bring what whatever I can bring to help other people have a better experience? And uh, yeah, so that's kind of what I'm about. Yeah. And so Reina highlights how some people with extroverted preferences can believe that they're introverted if they're HSPs mm -hmm. because they can take up so many of the emotions in the atmosphere or their own emotions that it's overwhelming and they need to decompress and to be alone at certain circumstances. So they're like, oh, I'm not a stereotypical extrovert. And there's even that stereotype that HSPs can only be introverts, which is totally false. Mm -hmm. And so people who learn their HSPs, they're like, am I an introvert? Because there's that correlation there. Mm -hmm. And I would say, no, there are so many extroverted HSPs. And in a way, having extroverted preferences can amplify your experience of being an HSP because you're mm -hmm. so tuned in to the external world and all the hyper stimulus mm -hmm. there because your natural world the world that you feel most comfortable in that you focus on as young says is the external world so that can cause even more overwhelm so yeah hsps are a gift on the universe because they are people who don't get desensitized while there are a lot of horrific acts happening in the world they're the people who are able to maintain their humanity and to be able to experience it as if it's brand new all the time which makes them really good social advocates if they choose to be, but also getting really overwhelmed because they're not able to turn it off. They're not able to turn off the HSP-ness. And so Carol, would you like to share a little bit about you? Uh, sure. I discovered type when I was 34 and I was in a bookstore and somehow David Kearsey's Please Understand Me Too magically appeared in my hands and I was reading it and going, oh my God, I'm real. What I am is real. I'm the odd duck on both sides of family, but this man named David Kearsey seems to know me. And he seem, and I seem to be a thing in the world that this man knows about. So I'm not just this, I'm not just this weird thing that the family can't understand. Uh, I'm not an odd duck. I'm a rare bird. And David Kearsey <laughs> helped me turn around my metaphor. And I was in an IT company, and I will tell you just two quick things. Um, Kiersey taught, taught me both type and temperament in that book because he loved what Isabel Briggs-Myers did. He incorporated both of those systems in his book. They, they correlate beautifully. And two things happened. One, he saved my life and sanity in corporate America at an IT company. As you can imagine, somebody who uses introverted feeling might be way overwhelmed with what's going on at an at a, uh, IT high-tech company that's not very people-oriented. And the second thing it did, guys, it saved my relationship with my ISTJ mother because I have heightened sensitivity and mother has no filters to the impact of what comes out of her mouth a lot of the times. So we were just like the perfect train wreck. And thanks to Kiersey, I quit interpreting her through my catalyst ENFP filter. So I, I went from tech writing into learning and development and coach and teach both corporations and community colleges and as an independent and I will do this to the day before I die mainly because I think if I do it on the day I die I'll freak people out if I die in class in front of them so until the day before I die I'm going to teach and promote this stuff somehow right now I'm the president of association for psychological type and I am because I want the 
the next generation to have access to this in an ethical and effective way. There's good stuff on the internet and there's total crapola on the internet. And crapola can do harm to people because it's misused. So I'm actively seeking out the and people doing it with integrity on the internet to join the traditional type community. Um, because guys, I've just seen over 20 years of practice, I've seen the blessings. That's an old fashioned word, but I believe in it. The blessings this brings to people's lives. I really do. To be looking in someone's eyes when the light bulb goes off. There's just no better reward than that. And then somebody emailing you several years later and say, I still use what you taught me every single day. So it doesn't get more rewarding than that. And I'm glad to be here. Thank you. We have a lot of type love here. It's it's really been a transformative paradigm for a lot of the participants here. Before you come to type, you might think that you're an ugly duckling, and then you realize that you're actually a swan and that you have gifts that only you bring to the world. So I'm guessing a lot of people on this panel have felt like old souls or out of this world in some sort of way. And so it's nice to have type to put a name to it. It's like, oh, that's why I felt so different than my environment. You found your people when you read the book and all that stuff. And so, hi, my name is Joyce and I'm a certified MBTI master practitioner and I facilitate the instrument and organizations and I also offer coaching services. So, all right. I would love to hear about your experiences as HSPs and how that was like. So if you could share and if you could let us know about your experience around that and the mind-body connection that it causes, too. My er early life experience was so not positive about being highly sensitive. First place, nobody had the words for it then. Uh, and so I got, actually, I'd like to do a, a, a minor poll here and say, how many, how many of us have been told over and over and over again, you're too sensitive. You need to be let, there you, there you go. So I get really tired. I got really tired of that. And it was usually by people I considered grotesquely insensitive. So there you have it. And I, it was just constant criticism. So not only were my feelings hurt and I was overwhelmed, then I was being uh, attacked and criticized for being the person in the room who was sensing what the others weren't picking up. You know, that, that story about the little boy and the, the emperor comes down in the carriage with no clothes on and the little boy sit, you know, Emperor's got no clothes on. I feel like sometimes as a highly sensitive person, I'm the one who sees the emperor has no clothes on and everybody else thinks the emperor has clothes on. But if you say something, they just think you're crazy. So you learn to keep it to yourself. Well, the kind of careers that we picked out, we know we're using that all the time. It is it is really valuable tool in what we do. But boy, growing up until I learned how to not let those people telling me I was being too sensitive get to me. And I finally realized it's part of my hardware as well as developed self. It's part of my hardware and it's also what I've developed. And uh, it's just the way I'm always going to be. And it has its upside and its downside. And uh, I, you just have to take the good with the bad. But you can also learn to set up protective barriers and, and, and tell yourself certain kinds of things to lessen the amount of negative stuff that gets through the barrier into you, if that makes any any sense at all. When I was younger, I didn't know about it. all the negative stuff just came straight in and made me feel worse. Um, but my, I, I'll, I'll stop talking now and give others time. But my early experience of it was not pleasant. It was a whole bunch of downside. I had to get older and learn how to work with it before I realized it had an upside. <laughs>
So my early experience was similar to Carol's. Um, and I think in many ways, uh, it was a blessing in disguise in terms of my career choice. Um, although <laughs> it was tricky. So my career was as a military logistician. And so um, I had a couple of career options, but I was highly concerned about financial security as a young teen. And so my career choice had to support that. And so in discussion with my parents, who I respected a lot, um, you know, my dad said, well, you know, you're, what are your other <laughs> career path ideas? And I was like, well, I want to be a, a social worker. And at the time, you know, social workers weren't that well paid. And although my heart was in it, I guess there was a part of me that thought if I joined the military, I'd be going on um, like UN missions and peacekeeping missions. And that part really interested me. So I joined thinking that that's kind of what I would be doing. Uh, subsequently, it turned out that that wasn't the case. Um, but I did learn how to deal with the onslaught of life, I think, in a way, because I had to, like, I operated in a world where there were more sensors than intuitives. I was always feeling out of place because I'm sure the percentage of intuitives in my career environment was really low. But on top of it, having the high sensitivity piece, like Carol, I just learned to not comment on it and any like ever. Um, and I think the tricky thing for me was in order to be seen as like someone else, I really leaned into my 10 year old. And so what got me through was the fact that with, you know, SC in my 10 year old spot, I could really lean into that. And that basically kept me you know, appearing to be like others, and I could execute well, and I learned how to execute well. But the cost of that was behind closed doors, even in university, because I went through military college, uh, I had to spend so much time alone. So like, my friends would be going out partying, and I'd be like, uh, you know, I'm gonna stay home and study. And I'd be going to bed at like nine o'clock. I regularly went to bed at nine o'clock throughout university, purposefully, like never waited to the last minute to do any of my assignments because I knew I had to manage my energy. I, I knew that there was this thing that if something happened and I overdid it, then I would be in trouble and it would just take me a long time to recuperate. So being unaware of what you need to do to manage your energy and to keep your sympathetic nervous system in check is super key. And at the time I had no idea, knew nothing about that. So um, yeah, that was my, my early experience. So lots of time alone. That's again, why I thought, oh, I must be an introvert, but this is weird. And, and that is a challenge, I think, if, as an extroverted feeler, um, if you're all about meeting other people's needs and you're always like crash and burning, because that's what it would feel like. It would feel like I could life for a certain period of time. And then I would just like hit a wall and then I would like start again. And so, it led to this feeling of like failure in a way too, right? Because you're not able to do what you want to do. And so that was a challenge too. So Carol mentioned how with highly sensitive people, they might be called, you're too sensitive in their life by someone else there. And so you could see that as a form of gaslighting. It's someone making you doubt your own reality. Like you're too much of something is telling you you're not supposed to be you. You need to be less you. 
And so you have the whole world telling you, we need you to tone down and we need your 100% faucet to be at this like little drip faucet. And so in, in a way that's even more harmful to a highly sensitive person. Cause it's like, well, mm-hmm. great, I can't turn this off, but people are telling me to turn it off. I'm supposed to be able to turn it off in their eyes. And so, yeah, it, it can create a slight feeling of feeling a little bit defective if you don't know that what you have is a gift. A beautiful swan can see themselves as an ugly duckling if everyone tells you you're too much of something. So, yeah. And Reina also talked about the military and how she had these catalyst ideals when going into the military. It's like, it's going to be this thing where I do peacekeeping missions. And then she realized it, it wasn't. And the military... The types that tend to predominate that are ST types. So whether it's ISTJ, ESTJ, or even there's ESTPs and ISTPs, there are a lot too. And so, yeah, you are in the minority if you're uh, ENFJ there. And I will pass things to Anne. (laughs) (laughs) I relate amazingly to both of your stories. Um, I found Joyce because um, I didn't have the opportunity of type helping me earlier. It has genuinely just been in this last year and coming to Joyce that she verified that I'm an ENFP. Um, For most of my life, I thought I was an INFJ because I was living in constant stress, dysregulation, giving way too much of myself. I'd gone through significant healing um, 25, 30 years ago and integrated and and was doing really well early on with my kids. But I would overextend myself in communities we were involved with. I would give too much. And I wasn't aware that I was tanking until I'd actually hit burnout. And so that burnout has been really rough for my kids because it took a long time to come back. And so where I'm right now is I'm literally just getting right to the edge of burnout. Um, but with the help of Joyce and getting to know, wait, this is HSP and ENFP, explain me. And I am not crazy. Um, you know, I always identified with the ugly duckling Joyce. So it's interesting you said that. So um, to be able to find out that this is me and I can live as myself is amazing. And and my story all the way back when I was young from, I remember distinctly kindergarten through fourth grade and feeling like no one understood me. I just needed to be more quiet. I was, you know, didn't make any sense. Thankfully, my fourth grade teacher um, identified, you know, that there was something else going on, saw me for me and actually helped me process. And at least academically, it helped after that. Um, But socially, um, I would go home every day with since we're talking about the mind body stuff, really bad stomach aches and would have to lay on the couch for an hour or two because it was so bad. Um, but even positive things, and I've you know, looked into HSP and you can have even positive things can impact you. Before we would go on a big family trip, I would spend the night on the floor of the bathroom because I was so sick to my stomach, I was afraid I was gonna get sick. But I, it's because I was excited. And it was just the, the, you know, the nerves and the neurology just went way over the top. Um, And then similar to Carol, um, I started out in aerospace engineering at Purdue and was, you know, doing fairly well, but I was having to work really hard because it wasn't a good fit. And and I, in personal, personal wise, personality wise, relationship wise, it was not a good fit. And thankfully, before I finished, I realized this isn't going to work. And I switched into child development, family studies and ended up being an elementary school teacher for a while and loved it, didn't like the red tape, but loved it. And then realized I could help people better if I worked with the family. So I became a marriage and family therapist. And I did that for a while. 
which was amazing. Um, but both of those, you know, I started to get burned out because I wasn't taking care of my needs. And so then recently I'm back in that situation. And even though I healed a lot of the, the, the trauma and the intra personal stuff, I didn't know I needed to take care of myself and I didn't know the, the component of the HSP. So I'm thrilled to find out about it and realizing that a lot of things I intuitively did to help myself, even being outside is supposed to be really good um, and numerous other things. So I'm starting to compile a list of things that I can do to take care of myself um, in a sustainable cycle so that it's always there and I'm not allowing myself to give too much and then crush. Beautifully said. Anne likes to call Carol her long lost twin or something like that. <laughs> I did as I watched as I watched your videos, even the phrases you would say, and that you know, with all of this poop, there's gotta be a pony in here somewhere. I'd be like, oh my word, every phrase you would say, I was just, as the kids say, geeking out. Um, <laughs> it was amazing. So it was really affirming to see someone else so like me that it was as if we were twins and it just was it just warmed my heart so thank you carol for being you and sharing you in a way and joyce for sharing her in a way that i could relate this is what the internet community is so nice for you you can find people who resonate with you and you you find your soul friends or your soul connections here since the uh, catalysts like the word soulmate or they they go through life looking for a soulmate even if they don't have a clearly defined way of seeing that yet they have like a heart longing for it what Anne was able to highlight was when hsps are aware that they are hsps they start learning that they need to set clearer boundaries even if they don't have the right word for it and sometimes it's difficult because they're sensitive to how other people may react if they set boundaries, but they also need to set boundaries because they will, they'll die if they don't set boundaries. So they're at this weird spot where they're like, okay, like I need to tell people I need to not go to this hangout because I already have these other emotional things happening. If I have this other emotional thing happening, it might like make everything crash. The Jenga tower might fall down and they're like, ooh. So HSPs, the life journey I find for a lot of them is learning how to set healthy boundaries and getting people to understand it because other people might just see it as oh why are you setting that boundary and being difficult when really it's necessary they don't realize how things are resonating with you and how things are impacting you so Anne mentioned her stomach pains that she would get and i know that reina and carol you guys have migraines and other things so i was curious if you could share about the mind body experience can may I, may I make a comment about the stom stomach pain like sister of another mother and um i in mother tells a story that in second grade first week of october she takes me to the pediatrician and says this child's been telling me for a month her stomach hurts this is what the boomers grew up with okay first off who lets a kid's stomach hurt for a whole month okay i'm okay i'm off that now i'm gonna get off that now but but seriously <laughs> so he looks at the at the um, the uh, record and he says, "Coy, would you step out in the hall with me?" And he opened it and he showed her. He said, "Coy, last year in first grade, you came in here the first week in October and you told me her stomach had been hurting for a month." She said. He said, "Coy, she's got anxiety about school." Now they, they didn't know anything to do about anxiety for kids. There was thought to be nothing to do, so nobody did anything because they didn't know what to do. But my 
the mind body and so this i guess it starts in the mind body connection with the um the nervous system i was reactive and i was stressful and i was and you know stress is real and stress is biochemical and it's physical it's a real thing going on and people uh express it in different places but it clearly since i was a child i expressed it in my stomach and in college i used to joke that my stomach would hurt for three days and then i would suddenly realize what i was upset about so i used to joke that my stomach was a lot smarter than i was because my stomach caught on a whole lot sooner than i did that i was upset so thank you Anne, for bringing up the stomach thing it is it is very real and it is not fun yeah i actually want to jump in and add to that too um so <laughs> my appendix burst when i was a teen and I was actually kind of funny, sad. Like I basically had 10 hours. I talked to the surgeon the next day and he was like, you know what you said? You thought you were dying. You actually really were. <laughs> so there is definitely a connection. Um, if you look into the vagus nerve, so it's the nerves that run like from the brain to the stomach, the vagus, the vagal nerves are responsible for over 75% of the modulation of your sympathetic nervous system. That's insane when you really think about it. So all of the like dis-ease type things that we have, you know, from mental health to stomach, you know, IBS, uh, there's, there's a huge connection there. And so this is where like for me, the mind body thing was, it was really important for me to find a a way to modulate and put my sympathetic nervous system into a rested state. And I'm glad in retrospect, I didn't mention this, but I think if I had gone into social work, being unaware of how I manage energy, it may have killed me. So it may have been another blessing in disguise. So not only did I have to deal with, you know, learning to life earlier because I just had to in my career, um, it also, I think, sped up the process of recognizing that, you know, part of boundary setting uh, was learning healthy routines that would ground me, ground my energy, um, and allow me to stay in a certain state of flow. Because there's a double-edged sword, too. If you start becoming super highly aware of, like, as a migraine sufferer, you know, like, I have at least 10 triggers. I walk around knowing what these triggers are all the time you can actually put yourself in a more stressful state by being hyper aware of all of these things, right? So then you throw in the fact that as an HSP, you know, there's lighting, there's smell. Like I know generally when I walk into a Canadian tire, I have 15 minutes or less before I could potentially set off a migraine because there's something about Canadian tires. There's, it's the rubber smell or, you know, and there are other places too. A lot of it is just lighting. And so it's finding that healthy balance of recognizing you are HSP, you're not a freak. Um, you do need to work at somehow establishing healthy boundaries. And as Joyce was saying, communicating that to the outer world, um, establishing healthy routines, but also recognize that, you know, this is the way you are and it's okay. And that even if you manage it to the best of your abilities, there'll be a day where you just end up with a wicked ass migraine and you, it just is guys. Right. And so because it's key to keep grounding and keep releasing the stress so that it doesn't accumulate. So, you know, one of the important things that I learned when I picked up my meditation practice was 
Like when you first learn to meditate, you get rid of all of the accumulated energy from like perhaps even past lives. Like it's that, right? And then once you've processed that, then what you're basically managing is the day-to-day energy. And so this is why it's great when you have some kind of practice that helps you manage your energy because essentially you're not picking up new stuff because it's an HSP, as we talked about, even with boundary setting, and I know this is sometimes controversial, uh, for me as an FE, what I found is it was, uh, sorry, as an FE Dom, it was better to not actually bubble wrap myself, although I could do that as well, because I learned through Reiki, you know, you can project and everything else. But what I found was it actually limited my, my experience and my ability to potentially help someone. So I decided I would like, okay, I'm just going to let it flow through me and then deal with it through whatever practice I'm using at the time that is the most effective. Yeah. And so in the beginning though, um, until you actually can learn to recognize the fact that your energy may not actually be yours, what you're picking up may belong to someone else. It's hard to do that. And so I guess as a suggestion, my top suggestion would be find some kind of energy practice that you're attracted to that works for you. There are many, tapping, meditation, bazillion types of meditation, Reiki. I mean, I learned Reiki because originally I thought I would become a practitioner and really what it taught me was how to recognize energy, how to feel it, basically establish my boundaries, all of that. Right now, my current practice, which seems to be serving me better, is I do Qigong because it's allowing me to ground better. And I recognize that now that I'm perimenopausal, it is activating a whole new host of HSP things that I didn't deal with the first time around. And so you have to change it up. So that's the other second piece is uh, it's okay to change. Don't be don't be concerned if you find that a practice that worked for you, like I had a daily meditation practice for seven years. And one morning I woke up and I was like, you know what? I don't think this is serving me as well as it needs to. I stopped. I've now gone back to it. I don't do it the way I did it before, but I'm leaning more into a mind-body practice. So more Qigong, more yoga, more whatever. So that's the other thing, like listen to your body and do what you need to do that is going to help you in those moments and be okay with the fact that sometimes even if you do everything right, someone's going to come in wearing Axe body spray and you'll die. <laughs> Matt, rejoice me. I build on, on something Brenda said. I really understand about the bubble wrap and not wanting to, it's not always appropriate to shut things off. And when you're in a truly toxic situation, it actually is healthy to not let toxic stuff in but one thing i have found and I'm, I'm you made me think of this and i hadn't even thought about it this way before but i've got a couple of beliefs that actually help me when somebody's throwing crappy stuff my way like i have a belief that everybody's doing the best they can with the amount of energy and courage and skill they've got at that moment in time so if i go at it with the attitude there's no intentional malice here there's just lack of skill and i can forgive people for being unskillful all day long that's no problem boy you hit the malice judgment i'm gone guys i'm out of here i don't know how to deal with malice but 
if I can re, you know, I'm holding up the mirror here. If I can reinterpret what's going on is if they had more courage and skill and knowledge about how to do this, they would be behaving better right now and not take it personally. And that's a way, uh, Raina, without putting up barriers that I can have that naturally more forgiving, understanding attitude that helps the stuff like not stick or get in me and me walk away with it. Does that help? So thank you for helping me make that connection, Rain. I never hadn't made that connection before. Oh, also, I have had a ruptured appendix. And um, I, when I was 21, and I'm Reiki 2 certified. I think those of us who are highly, I'm, I'd love to see data on this, but I think those of us who are highly sensitive, oh, also, I do Qigong. I think we end up, gravitating toward these things because we're really having trouble with our earth experience. I mean, I truly believe we're spiritual beings having a soul experience, having a human experience here on the planet. And uh, don't tell, uh, oh gosh, we're broadcasting this. Don't <laughs> tell just everybody this. Oh, I'm out of corporate America now. It doesn't matter if they think I'm crazy now. It's okay. I can say crazy things now. Um, I truly believe we're spiritual we're souls having a human experience and it's hard when you're highly sensitive being on the planet embodied so i think we people like us end up reaching out and going to the reiki workshop and going to Ch to uh qigong and um yeah grounded is not something i'm um as joyce once said to me yeah carol grounded is not the first word that comes to mind when i think of you and I, love, <laughs> I love joyce for her honesty, she looks in my boomer eyes and she knows what I want to hear. And she very politely and calmly tells me the real truth that I need to hear. And that's just one of the things I treasure about our friendship. <laughs> the groundedness. And, and Raina's right, getting grounded because you actually can flush out and let go. And so you carry around less if you learn how to get grounded and get in touch with the earth and and let stuff like flow through you and flow out of you as woo woo as that sounds but it really is getting grounded helps us tremendously and that's like a daily work for me Raina. it has never gotten natural for me to get grounded mm -hmm. whenever someone says i'm a reiki practitioner they always follow it with i have enfp enfj or infp preferences and and i just wanted to give you space to talk so. yeah and i'd love to comment on that um I have not heard of those, so that is new information for me that I can look into. Um, what worked for me years ago when I was working on my master's was I got connected with biofeedback. And so we had these really cool biofeedback machines and they could connect it to you and to your brain and your muscles and figure out what you're doing. And I could literally, I think ENFPs can somewhat do this anyway, but I could literally go in and figure out what my body was doing, where, when, and why. And it was amazing. I learned, it was kind of like a, how to hack your body. And, um, and so I've used that over the years, even though I didn't have these other options, I did do journaling um, and just real quiet times in the morning to get going on the day. But to be able to, when, some, when my body does something, I can immediately go, oh, something is going on there. I need to deal with that. And so I think it's good if we start paying attention to the cues that our body's giving us to say we're either overwhelmed or we're, we're stressed or it's too much or we need a rest. Um, and even if there's something psychological, you know, or relational that we need to deal with, it can help us deal with that. And, and I don't know, cause I'm just learning about this myself. Um, 
my sense would be that because of the significant differences HSPs have from many in the rest of the world, that uh, relational issues are higher or, or more painful for an HSP. They seem to be for me. Um, I seem to be much more um, impacted by conflict or doing something that caused harm in the relationship and not being able to go back and, and fix that. So um, I think that there, there are things intrapersonally, but also interpersonally that we can work on that brings down the, the load that we're carrying so that the things that we experience in the world around us, the sights, the smells, the sounds, all that might not push us to a boiling point so quickly. But that's a theory I have just coming into this. I don't know if that's something anybody has any ideas on, but that's my thought. Yeah. Being an HSP and also being a catalyst is like having an exposed nerve. And so people can, or situations or life can touch it. And it's like, ow, I felt that way more than most people would. Because for most people, their nerves are inside their body. For me, my nerves are outside my body. And it's easy for the, the pain to really register. And it's, it's interesting, like an, H, an HSP might watch a film and they react way more strongly to it. They feel it way more strongly, whereas other people, it's like they were flatlining. <laughs> and it's like, wow, the HSP experience is so different. And that was something I wanted to talk about in the last year as I've realized I was really sinking and trying to promote mental health by ways that I used to know that worked, that did before. One of them was I had to stop watching a lot of the movies that my family watches. Um, even though I love, you know, talking to them about the most recent whatever happened in the series, I realized that it was, it was taking all of my energy to stay present in it and my body was tightening. And then afterward to try and relax, it could take me a day or two to get almost back to where I was before. And so, and news and um, alerts and sounds, I've turned off all alarms in my house, just the sound of an alarm when I'm at this level is, can just be huge. Um, I just want an alarm. If anybody knows of apps that have alarms that are just a really gentle sound of some kind, almost a whisper, because I know I'll pick up on it and it would be so much better than the jolting of everything I can find on my phone. So good luck with that. And that's pretty interesting because it almost correlates a little bit with post-traumatic stress disorder because loud noises, like if you hear a loud alarm out of nowhere, it actually creates an extreme response. And so there's a correlation between HSP and PTSD probably as well, because both can heighten your experience towards unexpected surprises and they can really jolt your nervous system. Well, Joyce, I, I think hyper, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I think hypervigil, I was just going to add, I think hypervigilance goes in there too. I won't go into detail, but I had a pretty traumatizing childhood. So when you're experiencing that in your youth, then your body r responds to that to try, you know, it's trying to help you out and you get what's called hypervigilant. And then, the, then you don't know how to, re how to reduce that sympathetic nervous system. You don't know how to get it to calm back down. So you're like this. And that's not healthy for your body either. Because think about it. The thing things aren't flowing like they should be flowing. It's really not good for your body to be like that. So I think and and I have, I I, I want to say this out loud because I don't want people to be ashamed of it, but I have complex PTSD. Um and I have worked on it and found a wonderful book. Uh, by a PhD psychologist who had it 
and he was a wonderful source steve something i'll think of that before this is over we'll put it but I, I i feel like it's important to say things like that out loud because that helps reduce the shame other people feel of it so i do have complex ptsd and it's different from warfare ptsd but it does share a lot of the things like oversensitivity to some things so you need to watch out it and it did a lot of good to get therapy around that so um and i'm wondering if there is a um if you're hypersensitive that even having what to some other people be just you know water off a duck's back childhood but if it was impacting you negatively all the time then two kids in the same home one could have complex ptsd and the other one might not um, which leads to everybody saying it, you know, this other person here is the one who has a problem, not the rest of us. Um, uh, so anyway, I just, I, I wonder if there's a correlation between that and people who um, have complex PSD, PSTD from childhood. I actually have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. I wonder if being an HSP creates a biological vulnerability to having PTSD because an event that might scar you because you can register it on a more nuanced level and a more extreme level doesn't impact a different person with less sensitivity in general. Yeah, not that either response is better or worse. I just noticed that. <laughs> yeah, so I wanted to add on to all of that and just say, I think that HSP does mean that your sympathetic nervous system is like it, if you were to look at it in terms of a graduated scale, right? Like you're, it's like your scale is a lot broader and you start picking things up a lot sooner than the next guy. And so if you were to look at everything in the world as energy in a background hum, then you're picking up on that resonance way before anyone else. So I 100% would buy the theory that uh, as an HSP, you are more vulnerable to to that home. And, you know, a home could look normal to someone else. As, you know, Anne was saying, a movie that everyone in the family is watching may seem totally banal, but like I actively stopped reading the news uh, a couple years ago. Like there, I go through cycles where I'll scan the news and then I'm like, I'll identify the stories that are out there in the world that I really don't want to read about, but I hold a lot of compassion for it. And so like just talking about it, I actually get, so give you a sec here, guys. Um, I'll send Reiki that way. That's how I deal with it, right? And so having the exposed nerve is 100% real. I think that there's another aspect too, and we haven't talked about this yet, so I wanted to throw it out as a possibility. I mean, we talked about the sympathetic nervous system, but I wonder where mirror, mirror neurons come into this and whether HSPs also have like where that comes into play, right? Because uh, we talked about it a little bit about, you know, having the exposed nerve and picking up on things, but like I will even pick up other people's physical like manifestations of like not feeling great. So, you know, someone can walk into the room and all of a sudden my stomach will hurt or my head will hurt and I'll be like, that was weird. And they'll ask, does anyone have a headache? And they're like, oh yeah, I have a headache. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's cool. <laughs> and so like, it, it's not just, you know, lighting or smell, you can actually pick up the bodily sensations and where it's also weird from a, I guess, relational point of view, because Anne talked about that a little bit. What I find is when I'm speaking with somebody, I'll get a like almost an energetic imprint 
And the more into my NI I am, the more I can actually read like almost like an energetic experience of that person. I can't explain it more than that, but it's like, I'll have like a, okay, this is what I know about that person. And it almost feels very in, invasive. And so even for strangers, like I'll have a thought that, okay, this is what's happening with this person's life. And energetically, I will get like a, a read of that. Um, and so where it becomes problematic is it's like having a, a lie detector too. So if you're speaking with somebody and they're coming across, you know, and, and to Carol's point about the corporate world, like the bullshit factor, like you'll, you'll know, and you'll be like, okay, so what do I do here? Do I, <laughs> so that, that was challenging um, in my past life and some of my, my roles, because I could tell it's like, you can't, you can't lie. Energy doesn't lie. This can lie. You can lie with your mouth. Your words can mean something else, but energy doesn't lie. And that's not hokey, Carol, by the way. Like some of the smartest people in the world believe that like at the end of the day, all we can actually see, prove, and like we know that everything that looks physically solid is actually vibrating. That's what we're picking up. We're picking up the vibrational energy of everything around us all the time. And the IT thing, I think it was, I can't remember now who was talking about IT, but so one of the things that I do now is I often actually go into IT labs. And I what I find is, if I have to work in a lab for a day where I'm exposed to a lot of computer equipment or anything like that, after like three or four hours, I'm, I'm done. Like I literally have to go home. So this is why I'm saying that's what we're picking up all the time. And whether it's smell, sound, people, that's what it is. Ditto to everything. And thank you for yes saying it is, it vibrate, energy is real. And some of us, it's just like dogs can hear something we can't hear. Some people can pick up an energy thing that other people can't. So, yes, thank you for adding that reality. And then I forgot what I was going to, that was not originally what I was going to say. Oh, yes. I wanted to know if this metaphor made sense to any of you. Because I used to describe it when I taught temperament workshops that uh, being a catalyst. It's like I have something located here in my chest. And it's got all these tendrils that go out that have sensors on the end of them. And like when I'm facilitating a class, the tendrils go out from my chest and they're picking up every freaking thing in the room. They're picking up who shifts their weight. They're picking up who grimaces over something. They're picking up somebody's leaning. I mean, I'm somebody who's upset with the person. I'm picking it all up. And then I say, doesn't this resonate with any of you? And almost all the people who... who uh, validated capitalists hold a capitalist catalyst hold up their hands and and then I say and if any of you find where the off button is would you please tell me because I've never been able to find the off button and that makes them laugh and I get it that it's not actually I would like at times to have the off button because sometimes guys I just like to rest from picking up on everything I've never found the off button but I also get that there are some things we can do in helping other people that we couldn't do if we didn't have this level of sensitivity. There is a gift to it. There are gifts we can offer others because of it. It is a gift in the long run. It's just when we're young and trying to learn how to live with it, it's really arduous trying to um, trying to do this because it's not an easy way to go through a world that's really not made for highly sensitive people. But does that does that resonate with anybody? Do you feel like you've got the tendrils going out, just picking up everything? Yeah. 
there is an extreme gift to being a highly sensitive person because you're a change agent in the world because you notice and you perceive reality differently than others. You can then enact difference in the world. So if you're there to make a difference in the world, your presence is there to make people think differently and to see things differently and to feel more deeply. You help the world feel its own humanity. And so I'm going to pass things off to Anne. To me, where am I going next? Um, I always want to move things towards, you know, the positives of that. So I think it is important to see the positive of, you know, what are our superpowers and, and the gifts that we have? And um, because I love to focus on love, you know, how do we love loving? You know, what is the way that's just natural and overflows and is, is, is not just effortless, it's a joy. And that's going to fit with the fact that we can sense someone else's heart. Um, and, and what their heart is experiencing and their emotions and what they're going through and be able to validate, affirm, see them, hear them and support them in my favorite word is thriving, you know, to help someone else to thrive and not just survive. Um, and so finding out what we have to bring to the world because of that and then what we need to do to balance that gift to keep it healthy and, and um, survivable and sustainable i think is where i am right now at least you know and just learning about this and just starting to look at how do i do this because you know i didn't know for so long i don't have systems set up i have natural things that i did that i survived but i wasn't aware of why i was doing it and I wasn't putting it in a routine or structure um, or communicating it because I always want to give. And as I definitely have a lot of that people pleasing thing. Um, and that was part of my reaction of being annoying is if I people please, then maybe they'll put up with me. Um, I still have that. And so I'm just learning how to start setting boundaries, but even in the simplicity of communicating what my needs are to other people and even finding them for myself. But the, the, Stigma, I think sometimes it can come into that and, and all mental health diagnoses or whatever we're talking about is, you know, a label makes can make certain people categorize us and box us and put us in that closed space. And so I always want to make sure that it's that those awarenesses and those identifiers are to set us free from the things that were holding us back and and discouraging us or putting us in side lanes and allowing us to actually step out and flourish and thrive. So I don't know if you all have found, you know, things that you are proud of yourself for and glad that you have as an HSP. So that would be something I'd love to hear. So before I jump into the, what I'm proud of, I just wanted to um, piggyback off the boundary setting and the setting up the systems. I think, one of the things that helped me because originally I kind of recoiled at that idea. I think as a FE Dom <laughs> learning that it sounds crazy, but learning that you're not superhuman is, is key. Right. And then when you really sit with it and you think about it and you're like, wow, I do I really think I'm superhuman? If I really like, doesn't that make me feel like, wait a second, there's like a, should I, should I be feeling like I'm superhuman? Like, so how come I'm not thinking of my needs? Because at the end of the day, if I feel like I'm superhuman, then 
does that mean like I feel like I should be playing God? Like when I sat with that, I had an initial like, oh my God, I would never want to do that. Um, But then as I sat with it more, my my realization was, if I really feel like I have a calling to help others, then to quote Antonia Dodge, I have to put my own oxygen mask on first because it will allow me to meet other people's needs and potentially a greater need. So with Effie and NI, I'm always looking for, like, I don't want a Band-Aid solution. I want a systematized solution for me and for others. And so that really kind of put a cookie in my jar because for me to take action for me, I needed that outside push to be like, so you want to be a better mom. You want to be a better spouse. You want to be a better change agent in the world. How can you be that person? You have to put on your oxygen mask first because then you can you can springboard to the level that you want to get to without crashing and burning. Because also when you crash and burn, as I mentioned earlier, like you have this feeling of failure and I think it prevents you from wanting to take the big risks in the future because you're like, oh, no, like I don't want to crash and burn again. And, and so it prevents you, as Joyce said, from getting to your real mission in the world. And so, yeah, that the boundary setting and figuring out systems that work is like super, super useful because as I said, it can help you maintain that that path. And then in terms of, you know, and going into a positive, positive way, I think for me, I am always humbled and feel like um, I was at the right place at the right time when I can use words of healing in whatever context I'm in and know that I've said the thing that that person needed to hear. Uh, And part of it is being able to see it all. You know, to quote Carol, the tentacles are out. You're picking it all up. You know what's bullshit, what they really meant, like to a degree. Obviously, you have to test this and you test it when you start interacting with the person. But I think my biggest area of pride is like whenever that comes up and I can see that I've, I've said the right thing. I've said what was healing for somebody in the right context. And that could be anybody. And ask for um, bring it to a positive note of the blessings of it. And I get that whether it's coaching or working with a group of people um, and teaching, I get it that my sensitivity is part of my 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 toolkit there. And there are ways I not that other people can't help people too, but there are ways I can help people because I've got that sensitivity. And I also think my p- intentional positive attitude toward other people helps me walk into a situation and I can help people quit blaming each other and start to see the other side and I've also been told by somebody with a group I worked with afterwards he said you know we do better when you're in the room because we feel safe when you're in the room he said it is really clear you will never ever play favorites and you are looking out for everybody's highest good so yeah, I think my spiritual stuff and I think my sensitivity all pay off and I couldn't do what I do in those rooms for those people if I didn't have the sensitivity side, which has a price to pay. But, you know, we also get to experience the wonderful ways we get to help people. So so thank you. And yes, I do believe this comes with a powerful, positive side. It also comes with a painful side of learning to freaking manage it. <laughs> 
It is true. Being able to be sensitive is a tool in your toolkit because it helps people unnumb themselves. When you're a person who's in touch with your own emotions, people who are cutting that out of themselves, they soften a little and they allow themselves to feel more. So in a way, every person has a sensitive side to them. And because you're able to be so in tune with it, you can help them get more in touch with their emotions and them as a person. And that's what life is about, right? That's what differentiates us from a robot. So in a sense, you you help people find their essence or their their humanness, their emotion, their sensitivity. And that's what matters to make the world a better place. Like the sensitivity is there to help us look out for each other. Like we look out for each other because we feel for the world or we feel very strongly or we feel for others. It makes sure that the world is a good place. So in a, in a way, sensitivity done in a right in a right way is really just love it's you are spreading around love by being able to honor everyone's sensitivity to go back to one of Raina's points she mentioned putting on your oxygen mask first which is advice that extroverted feeling users get but i would also recommend that advice to also people who have extrovert preferences because extroverts they tend to have this tendency of wanting to exert themselves and help the world even more or like get engaged more with the world or, or the external world more as a way to cope with things. It's like, oh, a lot of extroverts feel like they can push themselves until they break in the external world because it's their natural world. And so they realize, oh, I really have to put on my oxygen mask. I am spending too much time in the external world. Like I believe that I am this infinite engine that can manifest things in the external world when I realize that I have to take care of myself and look after myself. So yeah, I'll, I'll pass it on to, to Anne. Well, to start, the oxygen mask thing is something that I started saying about a year ago when I really started to, to recognize how low I was and realizing that other people around me were also struggling and I didn't have enough to give to them like I normally would and survive. And so I noticed the system started sinking. And so it helped me to think, okay, I need to get my mask on so that I can support other people getting their masks on, even if I'm not, you know, helping directly. Um, and, and recognizing that priority worked together with my other motivations to get me moving, and that I had a reason to get moving and keep moving. So it was helpful. Um, proud Something that you said to me this week, Joyce, just really resonated. And I started seeing it just pop up everywhere in my memories and all around my house, um, including this room. Um, I always wanted to be a safe haven for people. And um, no expectations doesn't need to mean anything, but just if anybody needed a safe haven to just be that place for them to feel safe, to share um, and as you said that, Carol, it just reminded me of a number of group settings that I was in where people shared similar things, that I helped them feel seen and safe and that the group dynamics were going well because of that. And so where I am in my healing right now, I needed that affirmation right now today. So thank you very much. That was, that was huge. Safe Haven has a new meaning when it's said by an HSP because they are actually overwhelmed by the processing of the world. So when they're saying, I want to be your safe haven, it's almost like they want to prevent that same overload or barrage that they get throughout life on you. It's like, yes. I don't want you to have any of the 
exposed nerve or HSP pain because mm -hmm. everyone has a sensitivity even if they're not in tune with it it's like I want to protect mm -hmm. you because it's almost like your inner child would have really loved to have had someone else as a safe haven for you so being able to provide that to another person is very cathartic because it allows you mm -hmm. to protect that other person but also protect your inner child like there's mm -hmm. someone out there in the world who's looking to protect others and so they're not overstimulated or in pain so mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So yeah, it fits with comforting others with the comfort that you've received. Exactly. Knowing what works for you, wanting to share it. So, yep. Yeah. To bring this down to the sensing practicality, Reina actually has these really good earbuds for highly sensitive people. So I was wondering if you could share them quickly so that if someone needs them, they know where to get them. Voila. So I don't know if you can I'm just try to show you. So I've experimented with them a little bit and it would only work if as a migraine sufferer, you've noticed whether um, changes in barometric pressure are a trigger for you. And so <laughs> this is for the whole perimenopause thing, not to do go into that too much, but it wasn't a trigger for me in my twenties when I was getting migraines and now it is. <laughs> so that, that was weird to me because I, I thought, oh, I've got a new HSP skill. I know that a storm is coming. Like, this is awesome. <laughs> no, it's not awesome, but whatever. <laughs> and so they do seem to work. Uh, one caveat, it comes with an app that alerts you if there's going to be um, a delta, because I'm affected if it goes up or down more than about two hectopascals. Um, and so last or a couple weeks ago, what I found was I actually took them out too soon. And there was another pressure change that I hadn't been alerted to on my phone. And so I took them out right in the middle of the next shift and I got the full on effect because the idea is it, it basically um, slows down your body's, your, your inner, your middle ears ability to react to the, the pressure change. So you feel it much slower. So essentially, if you take them out <laughs> during a big change, because I had been wearing them all day and I thought, mm, I feel a little bit off, but my phone says it's good. I took them out. <laughs> that was the other thing. I should have listened to my body. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Sometimes I still don't. Um, but yeah, so it helped. I didn't have to use Imitrex quite as much. And uh, there you go. Hopefully. Ryan, you probably had no idea this was going to have such an immediate impact here, but I'm so grateful. The last migraine trigger, I've had migraines for 33 years. My, my last migraine trigger that I don't seem to be able to do anything about is barometric pressure. So I have barometric pressure migraines. I've now got a homeopathic remedy that actually does help. And so I take it three times a day. However, I don't know, there's no reason for you to know what's happening in the Southeast, but we're having like three weeks of thunderstorms almost every day. Three weeks ago, I had five migraines in six days. And I was, I'm so excited by the thought that, I mean, get, ladies, I could actually have a migraine free existence for the first time in over 30 years. If I can, if I can conquer this barometric pressure migraine stuff. So thank you. I will take action right away. I very much appreciate that. Yeah. So what weather X earbuds for anyone who's listening, if you yes. have barometric pressure problems, go get those. Yeah. Yeah. So I was going to say apparently about 27% of migraine sufferers are affected by barometric pressure. Wow. Um, 
yeah, so it's pretty high, uh, so that I, I didn't feel too hokey when I found that out. But um, yeah, so what I will say is the heaviness that that is like the precursor to, sorry, this is like for me, the precursor for a migraine barometric pressure um, is different than another migraine as well. Like Carol, I don't know if you've experienced this, but my migraines from my 20s and 30s, I always had a visual aura. And so I had the warning, okay, you got 20 minutes to find <laughs> a dark room or pop an Imitrex or something with like a lot of coating and you're good to go. Um, with barometric pressure migraines, I don't get that. I just get like the heaviness and a buzzing. So what I found with these is you still have the heaviness and buzzing. Um, and I did have to resort to Tylenol one day, but wow, like Tylenol versus coating, like that's a world of difference. So I hope it works for you. I'm going for it. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. I'm glad that the earbuds give some newfound hope to Carol. <laughs> and I realized before we leave, we actually haven't talked about autoimmune illnesses yet. So let's touch on that. And so I'm curious, Reina, if you could launch us into it. Yeah. So I think that uh, one of the or one of the points we mentioned earlier about the sympathetic nervous system being more on the <laughs> the fight or flight side, be highly activated, um, manifests in that you end up picking up, potentially picking up an autoimmune condition, just because um, you know an autoimmune condition usually manifests as a result of excessive inflammation in the body and then the body begins to essentially attack itself so all all autoimmune conditions are based in inflammation and if you look at it energetically like that makes a lot of sense too so if you're in a heightened sense of like vibration the byproduct of that could naturally be inflammation and so i i have uh, graves disease which is a hyperactive thyroid and it was triggered when I was, you know, kind of spooling up in my career. I was still young enough, but I was still highly stressed because I think Anne mentioned it, when your career choice does not match your functions, you end up accumulating a lot more stress. And yeah. so when I went on my first tour uh, out of country in the former Yugoslavia, three months into my tour, my thyroid went crazy. Yeah. And I spent the last half of my tour with my resting heart rate like in the 200 zones and i would like try to sleep at night and my heart rate would just like race and yeah so it was unpleasant to say the least but that's my experience and subsequently to that when i got pregnant with my third daughter i was in a really really high stress job and she has juvenile arthritis so that was triggered when she was a toddler um she's almost in uh, regression now. So it's really stable. And so she's in a really great place. But I, I kind of wonder about that too. Like had I not been pregnant at that time with the additional stress and inflammation, even more of it, would that not have happened? I'm glad uh, Rania brought this up. Um, I have four autoimmune disorders and the literature says, if you have one, you are very likely to have more than one. And my first one reared its ugly head uh, well, actually, I, I had it from the beginning. It just got bad enough, but I, I, it really reared its ugly head, making me chronically ill at 21. 
I do have a broken MFHR gene, and there is a correlation between that gene and the presentation of um, autoimmune disorders. That said, there are also studies that show there are people who carry that broken gene and never, ever experience the, the onset of autoimmune disorders. And they correlate, they are showing that you can have the broken gene, but it is some kind of huge stress, some incident, some ongoing thing in life that activates that gene and starts breaking things for you. So I think with the traumatic childhood and complex PTSD, I was just set up that, you know, that gene was just going to get activated. And I have four autoimmune disorders and I'm, I'm, I manage them. Um, I actually overcame, I had fibromyalgia for 35 years and I actually healed that. So if anybody tells you you can't heal fibromyalgia, it's not accurate. Um, so I, I won't go into that details now. It's not appropriate here, but that and uh, my thyroid is dead because I got Hashimoto's. So it actually got killed and I have full blown celiac disease. Uh, so just having a tiny amount of it will make me ill for days. And so I never, ever am tempted to go, you know, break the rule, because if you're sick for days, you don't have to use any willpower at all. And the last time my doctor did a blood panel, he said, Carol, you have your gluten factor here is showing a presence of 0.01. He said, Carol, I've never seen a number this low. I said, Dennis, if it made you as desperately ill as it made me, you'd have a number this low too. He said, well, I just wanted to tell you that to let you know what you're doing is working. <laughs> but I, I feel sorry for people who have celiacs but don't get as ill as I do because they keep eating it and getting a little sick and it keeps keeps them not in a good, healthy state. Talk about benefits and, and not benefits. I think it's actually a benefit to me that I have full-blown celiacs and it makes me so desperately ill because it takes no willpower at all to stay away from what's bad for me. So, yeah, I do think um, there's a there's a correlation. And I liked that Raina connected it to um, the vagus nerve and the sympathetic nervous system, because that all sets up inflammation and upset and chronic stress conditions in the body. So, Anne, did you want to add? Yeah, um, listening to you, I may have more. The two that I'm aware of are um, uh, reactive asthma. And I, it could be related. Until recently, I didn't know about how smells can trigger you. But if it is smoke or fragrances or molds or mildews, I will go straight to deep asthma. So I have to have a mask with me all the time. Medications won't stop it. An, an inhaler um, would help if, but if I stay around the trigger, it won't. And it just gets really, really bad. So I, I have to accommodate for that. But also, um, I didn't realize I had a gluten intolerance for years. And my parathyroid started overacting because the stress of it, I wasn't taking in nutrients. And I ended up, a friend took me to three or four hospitals, finally found out that it was parathyroid. Um, and getting the nutrients back helped, but it wasn't until I went off wheat and until it started coming back. The odd thing is, is that it's been a while, but the last thing I was, time I was tested, I don't test positive for a wheat intolerance or celiac. But it has now gotten to the place where exactly like you, Carol, if I get just a tiny bit of wheat, it's days and it feels like you have poison ivy on, on your intestinal wall. And it just, oh, so yes, 
And so the combination of the two, but it does, I, I think our body, if, if nothing else, just the stress that we're under all the time, I think we probably experience more stress as HSPs and it's more of a burden on our bodies. So those genes do get triggered and things that other people might not react so much to, we do. So another reason to take care of ourselves so that our, our physiology doesn't suffer even more. I just wanted to piggyback uh, on that. So sadly, what I read about autoimmune conditions is similar to what Carol was mentioning, is that once you get one, you're, you're predisposed. It's actually like 40 to 50% increases. So that's a lot. So if any of this can help anyone out there, that was my takeaway. So what I didn't mention is when I, when I released medically, or when I released from the military, all my numbers were borderline. Like my doctor was basically like, if you don't reduce your stress, you're going to end up with MS or something like, and it's going to be nasty. And I didn't know at that point about the 50% increased odds of developing another autoimmune condition. But for thyroid, typically the next one that you develop is uh, diabetes and it's insulin resistant diabetes. And there is a correlation to this. Um, the other correlation is gluten and wheat and other food allergies. So regardless of whether or not you test positive for celiac or wheat, I would highly, highly recommend getting a food sensitivity test done. I had all of my family tested. We've got weird things like my my daughter who's got HSP she has tons of food sensitivities and they're strange like uh, alcohol um, anything that that is um, fermented all sorts of things and so it, there are things you can do and it doesn't cost a lot of money and regardless of what your doctor says like <laughs> we talked about this Joyce and I the other day about science right science is to know Part of the knowing is trusting your body <laughs> and trusting and, and i say this and i'm guilty of not trusting my body sometimes too so yeah there are things you could do also potentially consulting a homeopath although for some people that can be cost prohibitive because they will send you through a battery of tests and check for you know heavy metal etc 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 if you can't do that but you have access to like a sauna or that type of thing that is another way of helping your body detox in a gentler fashion and it's potentially cheaper if you go to your gym and the gym has a sauna and all those different things so yeah food sensitivities are real, are real issue they are yeah well thank you for outlining that for us you also mentioned your daughter reina who has istj preferences her HSP manifestations are different than yours in you being an ENFJ. The ISTJ doesn't take on the emotional responsibility of other people when they're in HSP, but they have all the physical manifestations that you mentioned earlier. Yep. Let me know if there's anything more. Yeah, no, that's it, essentially. Awesome. So yeah, it's interesting how all types could potentially be HSP, but they experience it differently. And the catalyst types take on way more emotional responsibility. So, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I was just going to say, I think that, that there's a genetic component to HSP-ness. <laughs> yeah. So if it's if it's in the family, like I did some digging and anecdotally, my mother presents with some HSP tendencies. She's not as attuned as I am. Um, and of course, she grew up in the generation where you just drugged yourself, <laughs> right? Like you, you just took whatever and you you may do and you didn't complain but i think that 
uh, I guess the message that I would put out is if, if you are HSP, there's likely someone in your family close to you that is also as well. So you may be able to help them if they're not as far along in your journey. And if you have kids, <laughs> look for it because I'm sure one of them will present with symptoms. That is a really good piece of advice, Reina. That's a really powerful piece of information because then families can help each other with this. That's brilliant. And so thank you everyone for coming out. And so with HSP people, most things in life have a purpose, right? And so the HSP-ness, it has, I keep saying penis. <laughs> I need to find a new, a new way to kind of phrase this. The HSP, the HSP soul and spirit, it offers something irreplaceable and indispensable to the world. And the curse is the migraines, but the gift is the ability to understand the human experience on the most nuanced level. Without sensitivity, we would not have love, we would not have tenderness, we would not have care. And so in a way, those are hypersensitive to you. Like you are hyper aware of love. You're hyper aware of when there's care in the room. You're hyper aware of when there's kindness in the sphere. And when it's not there, you feel it. it. Like you feel the lack of goodness or the lack of goodwill in a room. And also other things are heightened for you as well. So it's a beautiful gift. It will, it's really great to, to chat with you all and, and to hear about your experiences and that you guys can bond and, and find other rare birds like you here. And so Carol is the president of the Association of Psychological Type. I'll have them linked below, so feel free to check them out. And yeah, they have really great programs and you should look it up. Reina is my classmate from Personality Hacker, so we bond over life and type and I get to geek out with someone very local that we haven't gotten the chance to meet yet. So, and, and it is nice to have gotten to know you over our time period together. And it's sweet to see how good you are at your core. What I love about Anne and what she symbolizes about a lot of the ENFPs that I know is that they have this innocent goodness to them. Like they really want to give people benefit of the doubt to care for people and to believe it the best in people and believe that they have potential and they can reach it. And so it, it's so wholesome when I hear an ENFP's worldview on how they really care for people. They're just kind souls. So I appreciate the inner innocence in you. And, and so that's a wrap. Thank you for watching Type Talks. My name is Joyce Meng and I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye. Thank you.